Um, the title of the series, Lies We Have Loved, was meant to be a little bit provocative. Um, it was not meant to be disparaging, like to say, oh, if you believe any of these things, you're unenlightened. Um, yeah, that's the we have loved part. But for many of those statements, for me personally, they have been meaningful at, at some point in my life. Um, and so there's an element of, like, these, are, these statements can bring us hope sometimes. These statements can bring meaning out of something. Uh, they can remind us of the presence of God at work. <clears throat> they remind us, <clears throat> excuse me, of God's care, of God's providence, of God's sovereignty, God's power, right? So that's the we have loved part. The lies part is that um, sometimes these statements don't help. Especially when you are going through something hard and someone tells you these things we were discussing in our group. Some of these things can be truths that, that we um, come to terms with ourselves, but to be told everything happens for a reason when you're going through a hard time, or God has a wonderful plan for your life when you have just encountered the biggest disappointment of, of your life. Not always helpful. Sometimes if we hang on to these things, these statements, they can harm us. Because we think when they don't seem true that the problem lies with us. Or if these don't happen, like if God's amazing plan for my life that I thought was a plan doesn't work out the way I thought, then maybe I wasn't faithful enough. Maybe I didn't have enough faith. Or maybe, maybe God isn't good. So we're, we're wanting to offer this series to you, not to make you feel bad if some of these statements are meaningful to you, but to help you. Because if one of these statements actually stops becoming true for you, maybe the problem isn't you, and certainly the problem isn't God. Maybe it's just the way that you've understood those statements. Maybe it's the problem is those statements. Many of those statements are rooted in, in a biblical text. But sometimes it's a misunderstanding of that biblical text. And those statements also reflect our tendency, my tendency, to over-individualize something, to think that something means something for me, as opposed to us, as the people of God. Sometimes those statements reflect my own narrow time perspective, because I tend to be impatient, and I tend to want something to happen now, as opposed to later, or as opposed to in someone else's uh, lifetime. These statements also reflect our own desire for control and certainty, which is a natural human emotion. We want to control and bring certainty to a situation where we don't have control. We want to help someone who's going through a hard time, and the only way we can think of doing that is to offer those trite statements. The other thing is that sometimes these statements reflect our own sense of privilege, our, our blind spots. It's not until we go through a really hard time where nearly everything is taken from us, when we're so vulnerable, we realize that these things can't always be true. And by talking about blind spots because of privilege or 
narrow time frame or tendency to over-individualize or want control or certainty. I want you to hear me clearly, friends. I'm, I'm looking at me, first of all. All those statements that I thought were true reflected my own biases, my own desire for control and certainty, and, and a shallow faith for me. Uh, and God has, has deeper things for us. God is good. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. That is true. Some of these other things are not always true. So let's look at the one that we have today. Everything happens for a reason. That's a statement that you hear not just in Christian circles. Um, you hear it from people who, who are religious, spiritual, more like in, in some fashion. Karma, right? Everything happens for a reason. The universe is in control. The universe is giving me this or that. The universe doesn't want me to do this or that. So, so there is an element of, of fatalism. Um, that doesn't have to do with Christianity, per se. But you all often hear Christians say this, too, right? Everything happens for a reason, meaning God is behind everything that happens in your life, especially the bad stuff. That's not true. God is not behind everything. Actually, and I don't think it's, it's contradictory, and we can have this discussion later if you'd like, philosophically. I think that you could say God is behind every good and perfect gift that we have. God is behind every good thing that we have. And God is not behind every bad thing that happens. And I will say that and say that they're actually, it's, it's, it's okay for both those things to be true. God is sovereign, as I've said. God, God is all-powerful. God is all-loving. God is all-knowing. God cares for us, each of us, as individuals and as a people. But this does not mean that everything that happens to us is a reward or a punishment or a lesson or has some higher purpose that we are meant to discern. There are times in scripture, especially in the Old Testament, when circumstances are seen through that lens. Oh, God is punishing us. Oh, God is rewarding us. And that may be true. But there is a dissenting voice also in scripture also in the Old Testament. The book of Ecclesiastes is where we find it, and the book of Job also. In the book of Job, you have incredible tragedy befalling somebody who loves God and is faithful to God. And that person is Job, and Job's well-meaning friends all try and find their reason. Oh, you did something wrong. Oh, God is trying to show you something. All these friends, very well-meaning, the best thing that they did in that whole book, Job's friends, was to lament and be quiet with Job for a while. That was the best thing they did. Once they started speaking, lots of problems ensued. <laughs> At the end of the book, even, God says to Job, in the hearing of Job's friends, those friends of yours did not speak well of me. Job's friends were actually trying to be faithful Jewish people and tried to seek out other parts of scripture that demonstrated that everything happens for a reason. God must have done this for a purpose because you did something wrong or sinned or because someone else that you loved did something wrong. And Job kept on saying, I didn't. Really, I don't know why this is happening. 
And he just and he goes to God and says, God, why did you do why are you doing this? And interestingly, God never gives an answer. God asks lots of questions of Job. God does reveal God's self to Job. But God never answers that question. And Job is left with the mystery of God. Job is left with God is real, God is powerful, God cares about me. And there's a mystery here that I cannot perceive. So that is all the context for us understanding a statement like that and coming to the verse that we, that we want to focus on for the rest of our time. And that's a very familiar verse to some of you, Romans 8, 28. But before we go there, I want to read to you some other verses that we find in Romans 8 to give us some context for that verse that I will read to you in a that verse we'll focus on. So Romans 8, 18 to 19. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Present sufferings is the word I would have bolded in there if it was in front of you. And waits, another key word there. The next one, Romans 8, 22 to 23. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait, that word waiting again, eagerly for our adoption to sonship and redemption of our bodies. Redemption. Turning something fallen, something hard, something fleshly, and making it good. Romans 8.24, for in this hope we were saved. Hope. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait. There's that reading again. Wait for it patiently. So the context for this verse I'm about to read you, Romans 8.28, all these verses that come before it talk about present suffering. It's not going away anytime soon. Groaning, like, oh, it's hard. It's painful. Creation groaning. People groaning inwardly in response to hardship. And this posture of waiting eagerly and patiently for redemption. God taking something hard and making it into something good. And this idea of hope that is just beyond your reach, right? You can almost but not quite see it. But if you can see it, it's not hope, Paul says. Isn't that interesting? Who hopes for what they already have? Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Hope, just can see the shimmering outlines of it just before you, but it's not right in your face. It's not the reason, right? It's hope in the distance. And so then here comes this gem of the verse, Romans 8, 20. We can put that on the screen. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. This verse does not speak to God's purpose behind all things that happen to us, right? 
God, this does not speak to God having a lesson for us or a reward or a punishment. It does declare God's overarching purpose. And what's that? God's overarching purpose, we talk about it a lot here, is to bring God's shalom to the whole world, right? Shalom, goodness, wholeness, renewal of all things. God's overarching purpose of renewing of all things, reclaiming all of humanity, all creation, mending all the broken bits, that's God's purpose. And he will use everything that happens to us in accomplishment of that grand purpose. We have that assurance. God working for the good of those who love him is not an individualized kind of good. <clears throat> like I will somehow be compensated for this painful thing or hard trial that I'm going through. That's not what this verse is about. This verse is an invitation to widen the camera lens a little bit, to back up a little bit, and to see the possibility of greater good emerging, maybe in a generation from now. A greater good that includes more than just me and my good and includes not just us at Cap Church, but us as the people of God, us as human beings on this planet. Now, I don't know if you feel like I pulled the rug out from under you by saying that. With no lesson, with no reason, with no meaning to the things that happen to you, is there no comfort? Is there no assurance? Is there good news? There's no purpose to my suffering, to your suffering. Instead of everything happens for a reason, what I can offer you is true that comes from this verse and other places in scripture. Nothing in our lives will be wasted. God wastes nothing. God uses everything to accomplish God's purposes. God can redeem anything. Redeeming means to make something beautiful and whole out of something that is not beautiful or whole. Maybe even God will give us a taste of that goodness now. And the best news of all, maybe, is not just that God wastes nothing, but that God's presence never leaves us, no matter what we face. And that's what we read in Romans 8 verses 35, just a few verses later. For I am, sorry, 8.38, not 35. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You want some good news? You want something to hang your hat on, friends? The goodness of God, the love of God, with you in all circumstances, with us, with all of us. The way that Todd said it last week on our Zoom call, there are no God-forsaken people or places. Good news indeed. Now, if everything happens for a reason is a statement that has brought you comfort and meaning, you don't have to remember anything that I just said. 
keep on, keep on going. But I do caution you from saying this to someone who is suffering. Because I know from personal experience, and even just from to my friends up here, it is not very helpful. It is not necessarily true for someone else, and definitely not helpful. There may be some of you here who want to hear this in a new way, who've got a glimpse of how you might understand it. To understand that God does not waste anything does, re does require us to relinquish a little bit of control, that we can't explain everything, that we can't control everything, and that God's good includes more than just blessing me in my circumstances presently. We have to acknowledge that God's ways are sometimes completely beyond our knowing. Relinquishing control, knowing that we might have blind spots, and having humble faith. That kind of hope that is not quite seen, but hoping because it's good, it's a good God that we hope in, that kind of humble faith. I want to close with a quote from a Christian mystic and therapist named James Finley. And I came across this quote uh, not because I am a particularly well-read person, but because someone in our midst at CAP is going through an unthinkably difficult time. And she is facing the challenges that she has faced over the last several years with hope and tenderness and honesty and resilience. And this is a quote that she shared with me that brings her hope. In contrast to everything happens for a reason, how about God is a presence that protects us from nothing, even as God unexplainably sustains us in all things. There's a scariness to that, actually but also a deep hope that is true, that can sustain us when we face dark times. And so as those thoughts roll around in your mind and as you think and reflect, um, we're going to um, sing a few songs and worship now. Um, Matt, one coming up. We're going to sing two songs. The first one is, um, what's it called? Nothing I belong to. So, um, what I want to ask is that we sing it actually not that we want it, because it's a reminder that we're in this together. Both the songs that we're going to be singing, one is the desert song, that's the second one we sing, the first one is nothing I will want to. Wherever you say I, if you can just do that work of inserting we, to remember that we are the people of God together. Uh, and then in between the two songs, we'll sing the first song. Um, I want you to uh, consider what is it that you want to relinquish to God? What are those things you want to trust God with? Those people that you care about, those concerns in the world or concerns in your own life that, that you want to trust God with. And so we'll sing that song. And then, um, Matt, if you could just... Um, pause after the first song and then I'll come up and invite you to make your prayer to God. God, we trust you with, and then just to fill in the blank. Right? So you can be thinking about those things that, that the Spirit might be inviting you to push. Uh,
after this song. We'll do that. Oh, yes, you do. 